You're listening to DraftKings Network. Now, again, people are going to get into Jackson. Why didn't he take a deal two years ago? Why didn't he take a deal one year ago? Well, if he could get 156 over three and wait, yes, he did a really nice job. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm your host, Andrew Brandt. Our producer, Jack Connell, musical producer, Sam Brandt. I'm with him now. And we are sponsored, brought to you, as always, by DraftKings. A lot of rants today. I haven't done this in a while, but I got a lot of Brandt's rants because a lot has gone on since the last time we talked. We've had the draft, the whole idea with rookie pay. I want to get into that with you. We've had Aaron Rodgers reporting for duty in the city of not New York, but somewhere in New Jersey. And uh, I want to get to you on this list of uh, highest paid athletes around the world. Talk about the Phoenix Suns new television deal and this Tyler Lockett situation with a bank with the Seahawks. I want to get into all that on a special Brant's Rants edition the first week of May 2023. And here we go. All right, let's talk about Lamar. Lamar Jackson has been the most talked about contract negotiation in the NFL over the last two years. And I think part of it is from the agent community and from people out there sort of pushed by the agent community to talk about the fact he was self-representing. Lamar Jackson, as everyone knows by now, did not have an official agent, did not have a professional agent. People even asked me if I was advising Lamar Jackson. The answer is unequivocally no. If he had reached out, I would have been happy to serve but it was no. And I know that's a tough thing for the Ravens. I've talked about this before when dealing with teams. And when I was with the team, I had players that wanted to negotiate directly, no agent. I thought initially it'd be cool. It'd be fun. We know these players do it together, have a nice experience. It turned out to be anything but that because players are very emotional. You're telling them their self-worth. It's raw. It's emotional. It's not something you want to do without a professional. The agent role is to buffer tough news from the team. And players are very simple. They say, I'm as good as X. I saw that player got X from pick a team, the Detroit or Dallas or Denver or Philadelphia or Miami or New Orleans. And they're going to say, yeah, I get to get more than that. And if you could say, well, you're not that close to free agency, you're not in the same relative space and we're paying our quarterback top of the market, they're paying their quarterback low, whatever it may be. Players don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that. They're like, why are you not taking care of me like that team did? And that's how they see it. So it was very tough as a team negotiator dealing with players without agents. So I feel for Eric DaCosta and the Baltimore Ravens crew. But at the end of the day, it's done. Here we are in May. It's such a long off season, whether you had a contract in the start of February or in August, it really doesn't matter, but it's done here in the first week of May. And my overall response to this contract, based on what I've seen, is like, great job, Lamar Jackson. First, let's talk about the weakness. The weakness is he did not, I repeat, did not get the full five-year guarantee that Deshaun Watson got that Lamar Jackson, the agent, seemed to be pushing more than all these other agents. 
All the deals since Watson had gone to traditional structure, one, two, maybe three years guaranteed, the rest on the come. And there you go. Lamar Jackson, the non-agent agent, was pushing the envelope on that, which I hoped somebody would do to try to see if there'd be any precedential value on the Watson contract. It turns out there's not. And yes, I'll be doing this con- this podcast, God willing, in 10, 15, 20 years and say, remember back to 2022 when we had that five-year full guarantee for that player, Deshaun Watson, who, by the way, had 30 lawsuits against him for assault with massage therapists? Well, that was an aberration. That was an outlier. And the owners, whether collusive or not, have browbeaten players, including agented players and non-agented like Lamar, and said, we're not doing that. We're just not doing that. So now we get into Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, and they're going to try, and they're going to be rebuffed, even if maybe they won't even try. And it's becoming an aberration, an outlier, which is exactly what the owners wanted. And they cursed Jimmy Haslam and the Browns all the way to the bank. Anyway, back to Lamar. Way I look at these contracts, I look at three-year cash flow. I look at one-year and two-year cash flow too. I look at three-year cash flow. That's the way to analyze it because number one, that's usually the the guaranteed or practical guaranteed length. Number two, it's cash. You know what's going in the player's pocket over three years. There's no better allocation of assessment of a contract than that. What's in the pocket? And that's a great marker through your cash. And the reason I do that, people talk about things that don't matter when they evaluate contracts. Here's what doesn't matter. Total value. Total value doesn't matter because so few players in the NFL, even quarterbacks, make it to the end of their contracts. Make it to the end of their contracts. Very few. Very few. So I don't look at total value because who cares about total value? The, the the, the deal, the outly years at the end of these contracts, they're non-guaranteed. It's just funny money, right? Jalen Hurts last week has got funny money in the last two years of his contract. Who cares about total value? And the other thing you should not care about in valuating contracts, which I still don't understand how people get uh, caught up in this, cap. Forget about cap. Cap is accounting. Cap is accounting. Cap doesn't matter. It matters for the team to figure out the rest of their you know, organizing the roster, of course. But when I was negotiating for the Packers, I would tell agents, forget about cap. When they came to me and said, I can make it cap friendly. I'm like, that's not your job. I'll make it as cap friendly or unfriendly as I want it to be. And media even focuses on cap. Who cares? You know, if I'm evaluating a deal, the last thing I look at is cap. Cap is just how they're bookkeeping the contract. So three year cash. And here's the number. $156 million for Lamar Jackson, over three. That's real hard green cash. By the way, it's 80 over one, which is astounding. 112 over two and 156 over three, real money, guaranteed. Now the 112 is fully guaranteed. The 156 becomes guaranteed after one year. Well, okay. Yeah, it's not functionally, it's not fully guaranteed. So, but if they cut them, you know, it gets 112 over two. So that's 56 a year. Now, 156 over three, let's compare that. Even the great Aaron Rodgers, who I'll talk about some more later, his big deal last year, which set all kinds of new records, 150 over three, 150. 
Then you get to the other best quarterback deal I thought for a young quarterback over the last few years, Dak Prescott, who got 140 over four. He got 126 over three. I'm sorry, he got 160 over four. He got 126 over three. Russell Wilson last year, 124 over three. Good deal. Kyler Murray last year, 108 over three. Jalen Hurts a week ago, 106 over three. And then a couple years ago, Josh Allen, 95 over three. Derek Carr, 100 over three. And then the worst quarterback deal in some time, the Patrick Mahomes deal, which people still think is a good deal out there. I don't know how they think that. 63 over the first three years, $63 million. Compare that to Jackson's making 80 over one. Now, again, people are going to get into Jackson. Why didn't he take a deal two years ago? Why didn't he take a deal one year ago? Well, if he could get 156 over three and wait, yes, he did a really nice job. And again, the guarantee he lost, right? The Ravens are like, we're not going there. We'll sacrifice paying out a ton of money so you don't get that guarantee. And this is what teams do. The Packers did it with Aaron last year. And all these things about percentage of cap. Teams aren't going to do that. Percentage of cap, full guarantee. They're not going to do that. What are they going to do? Throw a bunch of cash. This is what the Bengals are going to do with Burrow. The Chargers are going to do with Herbert. This is what the Eagles did enough. Not Seems like not, not enough, but they did enough to get Jalen Hurts to bite. And the other great thing about Jackson it's not too great because I think the greatest would have been four years, but he got five years. He'll still be he'll still be at a reasonable age to get another bite at the apple of the next deal. Jalen Hurts is six years, and Josh Allen is that ridiculous nine years or eight years, and Mahomes is like twelve years, two two existing years, and a ten year extension. Again, years don't matter for teams. Years matter for teams in baseball and basketball and hockey. They're real years. They, they're real money. But years don't matter in football for teams. I don't know why players do long deals. You know, again, you can talk about helping the team. Helping the team can always be done cap-wise. Let's just get this out there. Helping the team can always be done cap-wise. You don't need to help the team cash. All you're doing is helping the owner with cash. And the owners don't need money. They've got $3 billion, $4 billion, $6 billion assets. Okay, so bottom line is Lamar did really well. And I think it's a blow for the agent community, even they're out there admitting this. Because they were saying, oh, no way a top player, maybe for a rookie contract, but no way for a veteran contract. Well, he's got the best, one of the best veteran contracts of all time. And in many ways, first year cash, three year cash, the best, the best. Now, Deshaun Watson is still the best contract in NFL history because it's fully secured. And if you don't think that matters, what you just saw is why it matters. The owners fight so hard against that and they win. They win that argument. They've won. They have beaten back on that argument. They are victorious. They can hold their hands up like Rocky on that one. But Lamar wins on cash flow, and I think cash flow is big. I mean, he's got generational wealth that I didn't think he would get. You know, I thought he was going to get maybe one, the reports in September were 133 over three. He beat that by $22 million. So waiting a few months got him $22 million more. And that's exactly what he was making last year. So, you know, I think he made 23 last year. 
So the the deal the year without the contract and the first year with the contract that's a hundred and three million dollars, pretty good. Kudos to the Ravens for really stepping up, and kudos for Jackson. The deal is done, Lamar's done. We now wait for the next shoot a drop, probably Joe Burrow, maybe Justin Herbert. We will see. Okay, next rant, little rant is speaking about the cap. There's a there's a note out there that. My colleague here, Ross Tucker, tweeted at me about Tyler Lockett has an official relationship with a bank, and that and that yeah, I guess he's a he's an endorser of a bank in Seattle. And what is happening? They are the official bank of the Seahawks, I believe. So this is reported by Adam Schefter. Tyler Lockett's real estate team, whatever that means, live and serve real estate is now the official realtor of the Seahawks, making Lockett the first player's company's official sponsor of the team. And Ross brought up whether it's a cap violation. I'm sure a lot of teams, because everybody's, you know, tattling on everyone else when they see something like this, are calling the league management council and saying, what's up with this? What is this? How does this work? How does this happen? But I'm sure the the, the, the Seahawks have a very uh, fastidious cap manager in Matt Thomas. I'm sure they've, got this buttoned up. So what it is, it probably is, is that Tyler Lockett's doing some commercials or endorsements or meet and greets, corporate outings with this bank. The bank also happens to be a sponsor of the team. I don't think there's anything nefarious. You know, I, my first thought was Tom Brady and his trainer and TB12, which uh, was, I don't know if they were official sponsor of the Patriots, but they were certainly at Patriot Place and they were training a lot of Patriots besides Tom Brady. You know, there's these uh, rough edges, loose edges, blurred lines around a lot of this stuff. But yes, I would think the Seahawks are getting called about from other teams to the league like what's going on. And I would think they button this up. Okay, let's move to Aaron. Aaron Rodgers makes his grand entrance in New Jersey. Does people really know this, that New York, the New York Jets do not play or practice in New York? But anyway, Eric's making his, Aaron's making his presence felt with the team on the field and practice and in the Knicks games and the Rangers games. And that's cool. That's great. Aaron's getting the full New York experience, even though he's playing and practicing in New Jersey. And it's getting a lot of attention. A couple of things I want to say. First of all, Aaron's there now and that's getting a lot of attention. But he even told Pat McAfee, I'm not going to be there the whole time. You know, like. He's not going to be, you know, he almost in in passing, like, oh, of course, I'm not going to be, I got my things, you know, I got things to do that don't include being there the whole off season. Okay. I understand. Uh, you know, they're acting like Aaron Rodgers showing up for practice is a big deal. Well, okay. I know he didn't do it in Green Bay and I know Brett didn't do it his last few years, but he's with a new team. I get it. It's not that outstanding news that he's out there. And then we'll see, you know, we'll see how long he's there. Um, you know, you know, my conversation about the leverage, I thought the Packers had the leverage and they used it well. And there we are. So Aaron Rodgers is in New Jersey. He's, he's making a splash. He's got a honeymoon period and that'll continue. But at some point there's going to be video from the New York Jets offseason without Aaron Rodgers. And I wonder how that works. And speaking of New York media, we got this idea that they're so harsh and are you ready for the New York media? First of all, two things. The Green Bay is looked at this little outpost, but we had media from Madison, several. Milwaukee, several. Of course, Green Bay, several. 
uh, pick any other towns, Waukesha. I mean, throughout the state, Iron Mountain, it, you know, we, people think that Green Bay's got like a, a couple writers. You know, no, it's like it's religion. And every other town, whether it's New York, Philadelphia, has baseball and basketball and college and hockey, etc. Green Bay doesn't. Green Bay only had that. So, again, harsh media, Aaron's used to that. The other thing is that, are they really harsh media? Are they really harsh media? Because the New York Jets busted a couple of years ago on the second overall pick in the draft, quarterback Zach Wilson. It's a, it's a bust. It's a massive bust. And if they were still paying the contracts that they got years ago, he'd be the Ryan Leaf and Jamarcus Russell bust. Can you imagine if one pick away, Trevor Lawrence did that, or a couple picks away, uh, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, you know, Jalen. I mean, pick it. This was the second overall pick. I haven't seen a lot of harsh shade thrown at the New York Jets from the, this harsh New York media, this aggressive New York media. I, maybe I've missed it. But is it really? Really? Is that the harsh New York media? What have they said so terrible about the Jets for them making one of the worst draft picks in recent history? who they have desperately, desperately tried to replace and someone who's not even popular with his own teammates. So there you go. Okay. Aaron's there. Good for him. We'll see if he's there much longer and we'll see how um, this harsh New York media is really treating the Jets. Okay. Uh, What else I want to talk about? NFL rookie pay. You know, we've had the draft and today, May 4th, a week after the draft, exactly, Jalen Carter, drafted a week ago, is signing with the Philadelphia Eagles. Listen, it's all preset. It's all predetermined. If you're a rookie in the NFL, you know what you're going to make on draft night. You know exactly what you're going to make. Now, you have to negotiate payment terms on the bonus. You have to negotiate offset for top picks. You have to negotiate a few different things. But it's all preset. It's prefabricated. For Every player signs a four-year deal. You can't even renegotiate for three years. First-year options after year three. Uh, okay. And the other thing about rookie pay this year is it only went up 1% on the bonuses. And I was shocked to see this, but it's true. Rookie bonuses are only got 1%. So at the top of the draft, Bryce Young is making two six. It's only 1% more than the two, I think it was two three six that Trevon Walker, much lower value position made last year. So that's the thing. I, I sort of looked into this and the deal is that when the cap went down 8% in 2021 post-COVID, the NFL and NFLPA decided we're not going to have the rookies pay go down. It's going to stay level from 2020. So what they did is they're borrowing against future years. So the 1% increase in 2022, even though the cap went up 14%, there's only 1% increase now in 2023 with the cap going up 8%. So they're borrowing against future years. I don't know if they'll do this going out a few more years, but rookies are getting you know, screwed is too far, too harsh a word, but rookies are getting hurt still from the COVID impact of 2020. They're taking it out on future rookie classes. Again, no one's feeling sorry for these players that are just coming into the league and haven't played yet. But again, 1% and then you go down to like the seventh round. If the bonus is $50,000 last year, the bonus this year is what? (laughs) $50,050, $50,500. You know, that's what we're talking about. So 
that's one part of the rookies. The other part I want to talk about is the options. Tuesday, May 3rd was the option deadline. Now, these are players coming in in 2020 that teams can option for 2024. So the deal with the option is you have a, you have a first round, all first rounders get four-year contracts. You can extend them on a fifth year, but you have a window to do it after their third year. doesn't affect their fourth year. And one thing this new CBA changed was when you put an option exercise, you're guaranteeing that money. It's a big number depending on what position you are, where you were drafted in the first round. In the past, it was just an injury guarantee, which has no real value. So teams are like, yeah, sure, we'll put an option on. But now teams are thinking twice. And the, the real interesting thing is we only saw 12 options exercised this week. Now, uh, <laughs> that's a really indictment of the 2020 class. If you asked every team after the 2020 draft, will you option your player in 2023? 100% would have said, yeah, of course we will. It's easy. But all these players being non-exercised, like Chase Young, the number two overall pick in the draft, you know, they, the, the commanders are deciding that in two years, he's not worth $16 million. She's not worth it. And all these players non-exercised, it's crazy. And then, of course, you have players that never reach their option year. This Isaiah Wilson's been cut a couple of times. He was the uh, late first round pick. Henry Ruggs, of course, facing uh, manslaughter charges. Another Raiders draft pick, Damon Arnett, out of the league, I think. I mean, it's just like, wow. Now, you can chalk it up to 2020 is the COVID year. You didn't get to see these guys in person. Maybe that's a real thing. Why the, Why so many teams were off? You had great picks out of this draft. Obviously, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, uh, Tua. You know, you know, the jury's still out on Tua. And then the one that got a lot of attention this week is an interesting deal, Jordan Love. So Jordan Love hasn't played. He's the new quarterback for the Packers. They have him for absent any any redo. They had him for $2 million this year and a $20 million option next year if they were to exercise the option. So if they exercise the option, he's making $22, 23000000 million over two years. If they didn't exercise the option, he's making $2 million plus we'll see what happens next. They came to a middle deal where basically he's getting about seven and a half new money this year. So taking him up to nine and a half. And he's getting five and a half new next year, real guaranteed money. So basically, he gets about 13 and a half new, so 15 and a half total. And then upside on escalators, paying however forms this year, that could bring him up to the 22 over two. So basically, worst case scenario for um, Jordan Love is he's got nine something this year and five, five next year, about 14 and a half. Best case is, uh, is what it would have happened if he had the option. So I guess he's protecting his downside. So the, da- the worst thing without doing this deal, he could have made $2 million. The best thing with the option could have made $22. Now he's making $14.5 guaranteed, but he's got to earn these escalators to get back to where he would have been if they exercised the option. It's an interesting deal. Love is protecting his downside risk. At worst, he makes 9 this year, 5.5 next year. And even if he's cut, he makes that five and a half somewhere. If he's not playing, he still makes the five and a half. Best case, he gets back for him. He gets back to where he would have been. You know, I hate this cliche, but it seems kind of a win-win. Maybe even better for the Packers. Just depends how he plays. That's the obvious answer. 
if he blows up as a really great player, the Packers, you know, will end up probably paying about the same, but probably less because he probably won't hit all the escalators. If he ends up being a bust, the Packers just gave away whatever, 14 and a half minus two, 12 and a half to someone that's not going to be a good player. So we'll see. I mean, I have no idea how good Jordan Love is going to be. I thought Aaron Rodgers 15 years ago was going to be pretty good. I didn't think he'd be what he is. And we'll see. I mean, no one can predict that. Okay, last couple of rants. One, I saw the top 10 highest paid athletes in the world by Forbes. It's an interesting list that comes out every year. What's interesting to me is got a Middle East bent this year. Of course, we've got the top three. Cristiano now playing for a Saudi Arabian team. Number two and three were Messi and Mbappe, both playing for PSG, which, of course, is owned by the Qatari Sports Investment Group, Middle Eastern Money. Also on the list were two golfers now being funded by the Live Tour, which is being funded by the Saudi Public Investment Fund. Phil Mickelson, $200 million reported salary. And then uh, Dustin Johnson, $125 million. So there's half your list, basically Middle Eastern money. And then you have uh, also on the list three basketball players. So the only American athletes really are the three NBA players. You can probably think of them off the top of your head. Steph, LeBron, Kevin Durant. They come in, I believe, at four, eight, and ten. LeBron at four, Steph at eight, Durant at ten. NBA has the appeal. And we're talking about salary plus endorsements. They have the massive appeal worldwide more so than any other American sport, including MLS. So, and then the, that that those five, and then I think uh, the only one out there are the, that, and then there's two more. One is my personal favorite hero in sports, Roger Federer, no longer playing, but still making a ton. And then of course, uh, Canelo Alvarez was in there as well. So that's your top 10 athletes by uh, Forbes magazine. And the last thing, I want to talk about on this Brands Rants edition is the Phoenix Suns and Phoenix Mercury have a new owner, Matt Ishbia. He's jumped in with both feet, obviously feet in the fire. He is paying Kevin Durant. He made the big trade. I heard him on a podcast with Bill Simmons this week, basically saying that was a good deal. He's going to uh, not regret it at all. He had a chance to get Kevin Durant. He gave up what he needed to get, which of course included Cam Johnson, Mikael Bridges, and a bunch of picks. But it's interesting what's happening on this media side because a sort of an undercurrent of sports media business over the last, I don't know, six months, Diamond Sports Holdings, which is the Sinclair media arm that's running the RSNs around the country, regional sports networks, they've, they're in bankruptcy. And they're, they're having defaults with various teams. Now, they They televise uh, a bunch of MLB teams, a bunch of NBA teams, a bunch of NHL teams. And they're a problem because they're not they're still broadcasting throughout these these MLB games, but uh, they're not paying. So they're in bankruptcy. Well, Matt Ishby on the Phoenix Suns Mercury has decided, screw this. Uh, The deal's up. They're moving to free TV. So they've decided to go to linear TV and streaming in-house. They're making a deal with a local TV provider, Linear TV, Gray, gray uh, Media, whatever it's called. But I, I think it's going to be a nominal fee. I don't think it'll make a lot of rights fee on that. Certainly not what they'd make from an RSN. What they've decided is we're going to push this out to more people. We're going to take a short-term revenue hit, but we're going to have a lot more people become a Suns fans. 
it's a novel concept. It makes a lot of sense. It's worrying less about short-term profit, worrying about long-term fan base. And uh, the number I saw was staggering. With RSNs, the number of people seeing Suns games was 800,000. Without RSNs, with this new deal, they will attract, they will be available for 3 million people in and around the Phoenix area. So again, I take note of this and I'm putting it in the pod because I think it's interesting. Matt Ishbia, who seems to have a, a well-resourced, obviously buying the team for $4 billion, making a disruptive move in sports media, saying screw it to, to Diamond Sports and Bally Sports, what has who had been broadcasting Suns games, and starting next year, they're going to go linear and some streaming, but mostly linear, and they're going to attract 3 million people rather than 800,000 households. Households, by the, right, by the way, rather than people. Good for the Suns, good for Ishbia, good for disrupting this RSN business, which may be outdated even as we speak. Certainly Diamond Sports is having its problems. Okay, got a lot in in this business of sports podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Okay, you got it. The Sports Business League is growing. You should join. Uh, go to andrew-brent.com slash SPL. I meet with this group every week. We have some good meetings and I do my uh, daily dose every day. They get a video from me. Also, the newsletter, of course, andrew-brent.com, Twitter, Andrew Brent, Instagram, where I do these reels every day, Andrew Brent 2. Of course, the column at Sports Illustrated and this podcast, which I hope you give a rating, you give a, a comments. We always appreciate that. I try to be the most unique podcast out there in this business of sports area. I hope you feel that way and share it with a friend. If you would, I'd really appreciate that. Thanks to my producer, Jack Connell. Thanks to my roommate this week, Sam Brandt, who is doing the music you hear below us. And thanks to you for listening and supporting this podcast. I really appreciate it. I try to be unique, as I said, and distinctive among the sea of podcasts out there. Have a great week, guys. I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.